One coach, one player, talking everything football. This is the All Big Skin Podcast, hosted by Coach Long and Tanner, a.k.a. Fetty Guapo. We're here in the second episode of the All Big Skin Podcast. I am, of course, Coach Long, joined by my co-host, Fetty Guapo. Fetty Guapo! All right, Fetty, lots to talk about. Uh, we were obviously off last week. I was out of town. You were out of town. Lots going on in the NFL. Obviously had the trade deadline come up. Lots of news surrounding that. But let's get into the Thursday night game between Miami and Baltimore. One big news story coming out of that was obviously the hit on Joe Flacco. Wanted to get into whether or not you thought the hit was dirty. Uh, I, to me, it definitely looked like a football play. It was just Joe Flacco was a little late getting down, and I'm sure there was something that that uh, Kiko could have done to get out of the way. But just the more and more I watched that play, the less time it seemed like there was in between Joe initiating his slide and him getting hit. And I think this is like the second podcast in a row that we've done where we've actually talked about a late hit on a guy getting down. And I think it's going to remain a prevalent discussion with the ins and outs of the NFL today trying to protect players. Um, I personally believe that the NFL is safer than it ever has been. Um, I think their goal is to try and protect guys. Ultimately, it's still, it's a violent game. These are guys, these are grown men best athletes at what they do, running into each other at full speed. I think you're always going to have plays in games that may look iffy, but again, when you're asked to make a decision in that two- to three-second window about a quarterback not getting down, trying to get a first down, you're going to have these bang-bang plays. Yeah, I think 10 times out of 10, that play is going to end the same way. Yeah, I mean, it, like you say, it's it's guys running to the football trying to make a, a play every guy out there is getting paid. They're trying to make a play for their team. Ultimately, I think guys are in the safest NFL we've seen, but as you mentioned, it's going to happen. It is football. These guys are in pads. It's physical. Um, I know the NFL said they won't suspend Kiko. It does sound like he'll get a fine. Switching over, though, to Miami, uh, I don't know if there's a lot of dysfunction in that organization or in that locker room. Jay Ajayi getting shipped off to your Philadelphia Eagles. Wanted to get your comments and your thoughts on him coming to Philly. I'm pretty happy with the trade. I definitely think I like trades like that when you have extra draft picks in a certain round. Like the Eagles have four fourth-rounders, and while they don't have a second or a third, you're trading a fourth-round pick for a proven, a proven commodity over drafting some guy hoping they can be somebody, which that's I love that about the trade. Do you have any concerns about Gase's comments about Jay and his preparation, or do you think that's just a coach who's fed up with a player maybe throwing him some shade? I think it might be a little... I'm sure he isn't preparing as much as Adam Gase prefers, but it definitely... It also sounds like Adam Gase is a little bit of a hard ass. Maybe maybe he's asking for a little bit more from his players than people are... than his players are expecting. But he, I... As a fan, I don't have any really problems with it as long as he's performing on the field. Speaking of his performance on the field, do you have any concerns about the 1.8 yards average per carry that we saw on Thursday night that may have led to the ultimate decision to ship him off? 
that O-line in Miami is terrible. I don't even know the names of their guards. So I, I, I doubt that it'll be a problem in Philly. You're thinking it's more of a personnel issue than it is a personality issue? Well, that's at least what I'm hoping for. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <clears throat> well, obviously the Ravens were able to overcome the Joe Flacco injury and get the big W putting the smack down on Miami. Um, I'm intrigued a little bit by what Baltimore did in that game um, in reference to their ability to control the football. They ran the football for over um, – I think they averaged over six yards, five and a half yards per carry. They ran it over 35 times. Um, they rushed for, I think it was over 170 yards. They controlled the clock. They limited the mistakes that Joe Flacco could make without a, a good or great wide receiver core around him. And they played solid defense in their special teams. You're always going to get great special teams from a John Harbaugh coach team. <clears throat> but I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit in that, one, you're playing a backup quarterback, but two, you scored 21 points off turnovers in the fourth quarter. I don't think you're going to get that every week. And moving forward, they're going to have to create a more sustainable offense because they're not going to get that production on the back end. They definitely played uh, your type of football, a little ground and pound, play good defense, just like your Chicago Bears do. But we have to remember, this is the same Baltimore Ravens team that got blown out 44-7 to against the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I'm not putting that much into this game. I'm thinking it's more of a Miami playing terrible type okay. of situation than Baltimore putting the, putting the speed on them. I'll agree with you there. Um, moving on to the Minnesota and Cleveland game. <clears throat> One. One thing to reference up front, Cleveland can't win a football game, but it doesn't seem like they can win a trade either because they're too prone to celebrating before they actually get the trade into the NFL office. Um, what are your thoughts on their inability to trade for A.J. McCarron and also the thought process behind giving up both a second and a third rounder when Garoppolo went for a single second? The more I think about that trade... And that is just rumors. I don't think that they've come out and said exactly what it was. But if that is what it is, I think it's more of them trying to get their quarterback at the last second. So the price is going to be a little bit steeper than the Jimmy G trade. But if anything, I think Cleveland saved themselves from from uh, setting themselves back even more because I don't think A.J. McCarron's a starting quarterback, at least not a franchise quarterback in the NFL. And... A second and a third, I think, would give you more chances at franchise cornerstones than A.J. McCarron would. I guess my question is, is do you think this is more <clears throat> along the lines of Deshaun not being able to demonstrate the attributes that they thought he had? Or do you think that this is them actually giving a higher grade to A.J. McCarron to pull the franchise out of the gutter? Because part of my question is, if you didn't believe Deshaun was going to be able to be that franchise quarterback, why not try and pull the trigger on the trade earlier in the season? Yeah, I think that that kind of stumps me too because they have three young guys. All three of them haven't really shown anything, and then they wait till other than how to turn the three, ball over. Yeah, and then but they wait they wait till three fifty five on a four o'clock deadline. 
to finish a trade for their quarterback. It's just, I don't know. I think something's going on in that front office. Something's, something's not right with them. Well, the front office, I mean, Sashi Brown, uh, I don't necessarily think is a football guy. You look at great franchises, one in particular in the Pittsburgh Steelers, that entire front office grew up in the NFL. You talk about the Roonies and what they've done for the NFL. You've got a guy who's got a law degree coming in, um, you know, trying to play money ball. And some of the moves that we've seen him make, um, obviously letting three quarterbacks go in the first round and not making a play on any of them. And we've seen what two of those quarterbacks have been able to do. I mean, obviously Deshaun is lighting up almost every team that he plays against. <clears throat> and I think Mitchell Trubisky is, is going to end up being the quarterback they thought he was. Um, there's obviously a lot of growing pains associated with that situation. He's not surrounded by the talent that Deshaun's got, obviously, on the outside. It's a little different style of football, and I think Trubisky will continue to learn and grow. But you look at those franchises, and for me as a Bears quarterback looking at Trubisky, there's kind of this ray of hope for the organization that we might have that quarterback. Cleveland doesn't have a hope, and everybody wonders why it is they continue to make these boneheaded moves, and it just ex it puts the exclamation point on where that organization is and why people think what they think about them. My hope with them is in this next draft, I believe they have two firsts and two seconds, and hopefully they can turn one of those picks into a franchise quarterback, which I think we saw them with their second-round quarterback this year, and uh, Deshaun Kaiser not really putting it together in his rookie year. But hopefully they don't pass up on quarterbacks that show potential like they have the past two drafts. Well, and, and one thing that I can't seem to wrap my mind around either is that Deshaun on Sunday threw the ball 34 times, and he had 179 yards passing, just over a 50% completion percentage, no touchdowns. <clears throat> but then I look at the rushing stats with Crowell and Johnson. They both averaged over 5.5 yards per carry. Why don't they try and run the football rather than continue to throw the ball all over the field. I get that they get down in games, but at halftime, it's a 13-12 to 12 ball game. Cleveland, up, 13-12. In my opinion, you shorten the game. When you got guys averaging over 5.5 yards per carry, then it becomes a coaching issue along with the front office issue, in my opinion. Yeah, I've always been on the boat that Hugh Jackson shouldn't be an NFL quarter or an NFL coach, but NFL head coach that is. But I think he's just continually showing that he's not ready. The one in fifteen season last year, and then the potentially potentially zero and sixteen season this year. That I don't think he's ready. So obviously we both agree Cleveland's in the gutter. They're not coming out of it anytime soon. The only ray of hope they have is obviously the the picks that they've stored over the last two years. Yes, sir. <clears throat> All right. Well, moving on to Atlanta and the Jets. Uh, Atlanta pulls one out. Um, I got to say, Josh McCown, drinking from the fountain of youth. This guy continues to put up good numbers. I mean, he threw for over 250, had two touchdowns. Um, this team can't run the football worth anything, but they're definitely getting great quarterback play out of the old man. Um 
Atlanta's a team that, in my opinion, gets lucky, but a lot of people say there's no such thing as luck in the NFL. I don't trust them. Uh, just wanted to get your thoughts, though, on the game Sunday. One thing I'd like to say is I don't think it's the fountain of youth. I think he's drinking from the fountain of Tom Brady. <laughs> but I want to throw that little joke in there. And, man, Matt Forte has uh, fallen from grace, hasn't he? I think he only ran the ball four times for seven yards on Sunday. Yeah, he's definitely not the same running back he is from his Chicago days. I guess that is what happens when you're 32 years old, 33 years old, trying to run the football in the NFL. But one thing I do love with the Jets, piggybacking on their quarterback play, was Robbie Anderson. It seems like every time he gets his touches in a game, he's putting up 70 to 100 yards and a touchdown, burning them on the outside. I mean, he averaged seven, over 17 yards, a catch, um, had 104 yards through the air, and a touchdown. Um, the kid continues to put up numbers, and I think he's somebody that this franchise can look at moving forward as someone they can continue to rely on. Definitely hope so for them, because they, they have been in the Cleveland Browns gutter for a while, and 3-5 and five seasons is a lot better than an 0-8 season. Yeah, and I think people were expecting them to tank. Um, I definitely don't think they have the coaching staff there that has that mantra, though. Todd Bowles has definitely shown in his NFL career that he likes to win games, gets fired up after the losses. Yeah, and I mean, he comes from a great coaching tree. I know people want to say what they want to say about Arians. I still think Arians is a great coach. Um, they coach my style. Um, that's how I've coached kids ever since I've been in the business. Um, I strongly believe in developing young men and developing character. And I think those coaches definitely demonstrate those, those traits. And when you have a young football team, such as the Jets, um, I think you, that can rub people the wrong way a little bit. But I think what we've seen is those guys have answered the bell and stepped up when, when he has beat on his chest a little bit. But moving on to the NF, another NFC South team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Carolina Panthers game on Sunday. Carolina takes it 17-3. to Jameis throws for over 200 yards, no touchdowns. Doug Martin averaged three on, uh, almost four yards of carry on the ground. But they just can't seem to find their footing this year. For me, I don't know if it's uh, <clears throat> Jameis Winston's injury but he keeps continuing to play through. So at this point, it definitely looks like he needs to sit out a week or two and heal his shoulders. So I believe it's both of his shoulders that he's hurt now. That, I thought that man was supposed to be the franchise savior in Tampa. I thought Tampa was supposed to be a playoff team this year, but 2-5, and five, it doesn't look like they're going to be making it, and especially the way that Jameis has been playing. Well, and I, another big... Uh storyline out of this game too is the trade of kelvin benjamin and cam coming out today saying you can't replace a kelvin what were your thoughts on the trade what they got out of the trade and why you think it happened i think that that is one of the dumbest trades the panthers could have made because they're it's not like they're one in seven they're five and three they're in the thick of the playoff hunt and they trade away their number one receiver because i think devin Funches has continually shown that he's not a number one if you're they're going to thrust Devin into the number one they must think that 
Christian McCaffrey can pick up the slack for Kelvin. I don't but see it, it that a, happening, but yeah, I have my own opinions of that. Um, I think it was a another thing of I I love the trade for the Bills, hated the trade for the Panthers, and I think Cam's gonna suffer for that. At least, at least until Greg Olson comes back, that <clears throat> might negate some of the pain. But Cam's gonna suffer. Well, and he had, I think Benjamin had three catches for almost forty yards and a touchdown on Sunday. One of my questions is, where do they get that production? They're not gaudy numbers, but a touchdown and averaging over thirteen yards a catch. Where does that production go now? That's not something Christian does. Christian's a lot of catching underneath, getting five yards here, five yards there. I think they must be putting a lot of faith in Devin Funches, maybe hoping that Curtis Samuel can turn around his rookie season. Curtis Samuel hasn't shown very much this year. Yeah, I. it's like they just threw away half their offense. Yeah, and let's not forget, Kelvin Benjamin was a first-round pick. Um, and the other thing to bring up that I think you and I talked about earlier was this is a guy that's a year removed from an ACL injury as well. And they always say with ACL injuries that you don't even play your best football afterwards until the second year after you return. My, In my opinion of, of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is I, I throw them into the same category as I do the Cleveland Browns. I think that attitude reflects leadership and the leadership the leadership within that organization from the top down has been subpar they bring in a guy like lovey smith who a lot of people may not like they may not like lovey ball you know we're going to run a cover two scheme we're going to jam the ball down your throat and we're going to grind out wins and i think we saw him turn around that defense in less than a year i think even the beginning of this year with the guys that he put together for the most part we're playing really good football and you turn it over to, you know, Dirk, who is supposed to be this offensive-minded guy with your savior and Jameis Winston, and then they go out and put up three points in what's supposed to be an offensive-minded football team. Um, organizationally, you get rid of a proven guy in Lovey Smith, you bring in Dirk, and now you can't even put points on the board. Um, I, again, I just I throw the organization as a whole into that Cleveland Browns conversation. I definitely think something we're seeing this season is that <clears> – <throat> It's not really the offensive-minded coaches that are winning games, minus Philadelphia, of course. But with Carolina, you have a defensive-minded head coach. With Buffalo, you have a defensive-minded head coach. And with the Jets, you have a defensive-minded head coach. And arguably, they're all doing better than what people thought they were going to be doing. Yeah, no, hands down, I think it speaks to kind of the character of those football teams when you have a defensive-minded coach is that we're going to play that old-school football. We're going to hit you in the mouth and grind out wins, and I think you are seeing that with those teams that people didn't expect to do much with those defensive-minded guys. So that's a great point. Um, moving on, obviously, to your Philadelphia Eagles in the 49ers game. Um, Carson Wentz um, is playing at not just a Pro Bowl level but an MVP level. Um, it's got to make you happy to see a guy that obviously struggled in the second half of his rookie season come out and play the way he has thus far. I I don't want to just be cliche, but everyone's been saying that Lane Johnson is was the reason he was good last year with that protection from the right side. But with Lane Johnson playing this whole season so far and the way Carson's been playing, there must be a little bromance going on between Lane and Carson. <laughs> um. 
and one thing I think is helping Carson this year is I do think they have a better running attack. Um, they ran the ball for over a hundred yards. They're they're the number one in the NFL of, of time of possession per game. Um, obviously, bringing in Jay Ajayi is only going to I think continue to help Carson gain time in the pocket by running the football first and coming off a of play action and accentuating kind of some of his assets, one of those being his mobility and his accuracy outside the pocket. Yes, I've loved what Carson has shown this year. As a as non-homer as I can be, I have loved Carson, but something I've loved even more is how dominant the Eagles' defense has been. Because, I mean, the 49ers don't have a very good offense, obviously, but... I think it's something that good defenses do is they shut down the teams they should shut down, and that's exactly what we saw on Sunday. One thing with the 49ers is they trade for Garoppolo, but, I mean, I don't feel like Bethard uh, really was given much of a chance. He only played, what, two games? And I believe he started three. Was it three? Okay. But still, that's still not much of a, of a sample size. Uh, from from what I've seen of the guy, I actually like him a lot. One thing I really like about him that I think was o- underrated coming out that I saw against the Eagles was his b- ability to escape the pocket, be mobile. He ran six times for 40 yards, and with where the 49ers are at, with the depleted uh, weapons that they have both in the backfield and on the outside, I just don't know. Garoppolo to me is more of a guy that's a pocket passer. He's studied. He's been the understudy of Tom Brady, who's a, the legitimate, you know, coin the phrase pocket passer. Um, I would have liked to have seen what Bethard could have done the rest of the year, but obviously the the other big trade talk is Jimmy Garoppolo coming into San Francisco. Them thinking that they have their franchise quarterback, obviously. They will have to re-sign him after this year. What are your thoughts on what Garoppolo brings to the 49ers? I thought it was a good trade. I'm hoping that Jimmy can continue his ways of not turning the ball over, which is done through his total of, I think, four starts, which that's also a tiny sample size. But I think that's definitely one way to win games is to keep the ball in your offense's hands. And I hope that's something he can do in San Francisco. Well, all the best to San Francisco trying to pull out of that 0-8 season. Um, moving on, though, to the Big Easy, talking New Orleans and the Chicago Bears game. First thing I want to get out there, obviously, people know that the Chicago Bears are my team. I uh, just want to give a shout-out to Zach Miller, his family, all the best to them, thoughts and prayers, scary injury, and it really puts into perspective that these are people playing the game. His thoughts and prayers with Zach Miller. Getting into the play of the Chicago Bears, uh, Mitchell Trubisky, obviously a season total, his completion percentage hasn't been great. It's dipped below 50. I think it's hovering around 45. Uh, did turn the ball over on the last series in the two-minute drill. Um, couldn't hit the deep end to uh, Trey on the outside. Um, one thing in particular, um, I think Trubisky's shown attributes. I mean, he scampered for 40 yards. Um, he had three... Um, rushing attempts for 53 for an average of over 17 yards a tote. Um, it was on a, a zero blitz play. I think he analyzed the defense and made a great read. On the last play, however, when he threw that pick, I think it comes with time and a guy that <clears throat> is in a total of, I think, his 
18th or 19th start at either the college or the pro level. Um, becoming more comfortable in the pocket, his ability to read defenses. And if he just steps up in the pocket, takes a little more time, I think he can be a little bit more accurate on that last throw to keep that drive going. Um, I do have concerns right now about the stunting of his growth moving forward because of the lack of weapons. Obviously, they got Inman last week from the San Diego Chargers, and he might be a little bigger target at six foot three on the outside for Trubisky to work with. Um, Jordan Howard, I think, on Sunday demonstrated why he is considered one of the best downhill runners in the league. He averaged over four and a half yards a carry and had a 53-yard run uh, from their own, backed up into their own goal line late in that game. But I think the big conversation for the Bears right now is that defense. Um, I do believe the Bears are an underestimated team a lot of the time, but I do believe that they have a top three defense in this league right now that can keep them in almost any football game they're in. That defense is legit. Ever since they put Adrian Amos down in the box where he's supposed to be, he's been playing legit football. Yeah, I mean, they obviously drew through the ball over 23-28 for 299, but he didn't throw a touchdown, and that doesn't happen very often. Um, I think Mark Ingram played well for the most part for New Orleans. Um, he averaged over four yards a carry at 75 on the ground, but the big conversation is obviously those two fumbles late in that game that Ingram put on the turf. That's been his downfall his entire career in the NFL is how often he puts the ball on the turf but the big thing with the New Orleans Saints is as long as Drew Brees is throwing the ball like he is or like he did on Sunday I don't really think it matters what the running game does yeah and there were there were throws in that game that I thought Drew made actually that were skeptical um late in the game um right before Ingram had his first fumble um Drew threw up a bomb um, I can't remember who it was to, but uh, <laughs> two steps difference there or one hand placement difference. And I think Eddie Jackson actually picks that ball off. So um, one thing in particular, I think New Orleans is trying to do, though, is run the ball, take a more methodical approach to the game and limit the time of possession that other teams have. Um, moving forward, I don't think Drew's actually going to get away with some of the throws that I've seen him make in the last two weeks. He had two picks against Green Bay, um, and there were two questionable balls late in the game against Chicago. Obviously, it is Drew Brees. Um, He's going to live and die in some of those situations by his arm and his decision-making. But as you mentioned, it is Drew Brees. I think when he can shoulder the brunt of the work, especially when they're playing in the Dome, they have a good chance to win football games. Exactly. Drew Brees wins. All right, moving on to the L.A. New England Patriots game. I didn't watch much of this game. I know Brady threw the ball almost 50 times. Um, They did not run the ball well at all against that San Diego defense. Uh, Rivers threw for over 200 and had a touchdown. Melvin Gordon, 132 on the ground. It's kind of a tough, tough break for L.A., Um, I thought they actually might pull this game out, but of course the GOAT comes out and wins it in the end. I definitely have loved Chargers-Patriots games since I was a kid. Watching LT against them in the playoffs, it seems like almost every year. And kind of watching Melvin Gordon run over them was bringing back the memories. 
One thing in particular in this game is obviously the Garoppolo trade as well that happened this week. Uh, what are your thoughts on what the Patriots do from here? I mean, they have nobody behind Tom Brady. They've gotten rid of both of their backups this year. Who do you think they'll pick up, and what do you think it does to the complexion of this team if Tom Brady goes down? They did pick up Brian Hoyer already. I think we all knew that was going to happen. Yeah, that, that was the smartest thing they could have done. And I believe he was originally included in the trade, but there was cap problems or something along those lines. And I think that's good for them because, as we know, Brian Hoyer came up with the Patriots. That's where he got his start. And I, I think you and I were talking that when he was originally with the Patriots was when McDaniels was there in his first trip. Yeah, so he's has he knows the offense. Well, at least the basis of the offense may have changed in the years he's been gone, but... I think it was that was the smartest move they could have made for the backup quarterback position. All right, we'll speed things up from here because we're running out of time. Let's get into the Oakland-Buffalo game. I think I told you earlier this week that, in my opinion, Buffalo's the least talked about team out there that is making noise in that AFC East. Yeah, I think as long as LaShawn McCoy is there, they're going to keep winning games too. LaShawn has been a great talent. Miss him dearly. And I mean, when you average over five and a half yards per carry, I think he had 27 carries for over 150 yards and a touchdown on Sunday. And I think they're actually getting pretty uh, good play out of Tyrod Taylor. I think he's managing the offense well. He understands, you know, what he brings to that offense. But more importantly, what that defense is giving to him, as long as he doesn't turn the football over, I think this Bills team is going to be in a lot of football games. I think my hot take from this is that Derek Carr is extremely overrated, that he did not deserve his $25 million a year. I I mean, I don't know what to say because I don't, I don't disagree. Um, I just don't understand why they're getting away from running the football. Um, but this speaks to what I believe about... <laughs> Football as a whole, um, I think we complicate the game way too much. I think if you shorten the game and do not allow other teams' offenses on the field, you limit your exposure to give up big plays and point and put allow them to put points on the board. Uh, they averaged over four yards a carry, and they only ran the ball like 11 times on Sunday. And to me, that's that speaks to the artifice of where they're at. Carr threw the ball 49 times, but again, you look at the halftime score. Oakland's down 7-14. to 14. Why do you have to come out and automatically go to throwing the ball all over the field? You absolutely do not. That's, I agree with you there. I don't see where the thought process would lead them to believe they need to start throwing out of the halftime when you're down by 7. But I think part of the reason they may not have been running as much was not having Marshawn Lynch, and they haven't had good luck running the football at all this entire season. Yeah, I think and when you have the highest paid offensive line in the league, uh, I think that's a concern, especially when you start moving into the discussion in, in late November and December. If you consider this to be what used to be considered to be a playoff team, if you can't run the football in November and December, you don't have any chance of winning football games that matter. 100% true. All right. Well, Oakland is a disappointment this year. Um, Buffalo's the big surprise. Uh, look forward to seeing what these two teams do. Moving on to the Indianapolis-Cincinnati game. Indy loses another heartbreaker by one point. 
Um, Jacoby Brissett is quietly putting together a pretty good campaign. He threw the ball for over 200 yards, two touchdowns on the day. Frank Gore actually averaged over five yards a carry, which was good to see. And Cincinnati continues to <laughs> show us they can win football games, but at the same time, they're the heartbreak kids. When it matters most, they don't seemingly know how to win football games. And one, one other thing with Cincinnati is Joe Mixon, 11 carries, 18 yards. Piggyback on that, he did have three catches for 91 yards, though. If, he was, if, if, his, if the acronym associated with his name was WR, I would think that's a great day, but it's not. It's an RB. I'll give you that. that that's something that I haven't understood with the Cincinnati Bengals this entire season is Jeremy Hill and Giovanni Bernard have showed that they are at the very least serviceable at the NFL level, yet they're not getting any carries. Everything goes to Joe. I just I don't understand. I don't understand Marvin Lewis's ideas behind that. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I think we're both on the same page. I don't think and Andy Dalton is what Andy Dalton is. He's never going to be more than a guy that might get you to the playoffs, and when you get there, you better have a pretty damn good defense and an awesome running game in order to eke one out. Continually showed that. I think that the biggest news through that, I don't know if you've seen this yet, but the Colts I, I've seen have told Andrew Luck that he's going to go on injured reserve, which would mean that he's not coming back this season. I'd like to know your thoughts on that. Um, if the guy is hurt, um, obviously you want him to get healthy, and being is that Indy's won what, one game this year, two? Two games. Two games this year. Uh, you're not necessarily in a playoff chase. Now, considering the division that they're in, if he came in and maybe won six of the last eight, there's a opportunity to squeak into playoffs by winning that division because I don't think there's a whole lot of competition there. People might say Jacksonville with that defense, but I'm still skeptical. Um, but if he's not healthy and he doesn't benefit the football team by being out there, then I think you do give the keys to Jacoby because the other question that has to come into this, Jacoby's not necessarily playing bad football. The decisions that I've seen the kid make, I think he's a serviceable quarterback. And more than that, I actually think he's a starting talent in the league. Um, I think he's shown moxie. I think he's shown guts. My question becomes, if he continues to put up these type of numbers and even grow beyond that and become better, now you have a real question on your hands of whether or not you bring Andrew Luck back. People are going to go crazy because I said that. But what has Andrew Luck done in the last two years that makes you say, you know what, he's a franchise quarterback. He's somebody we can depend on. He hasn't. He's been mediocre. That's another thing I was going to agree with you is that people might call it a conspiracy theory or whatever, but I've been reading reports that Andrew, since there's there, no doctor has for sure known what's wrong with him and why he still feels pain. Some people are saying that he's faking it because he's trying to get out of Indy. He doesn't want to be there anymore, which that's probably a conspiracy theory. Put my little tin hat on and everything, but I think if that's what's going on, then he's probably going the wrong way about it, faking an injury and all, but... I don't think I'd want to be in Indy anyways with all the problems they've had with their their uh, GM and Chuck Pagano. And I think the next question becomes, if he really does want out, what kind of trade is that going to take to get a guy like that? Well, I think we saw in 2011 what it took to trade up to get uh, 
2012, what it took to trade up to get RG3. I think it was, what, three first-round picks, two second-round picks, and a plethora of other picks. It would probably be double that. And we've obviously seen how that has turned out. But anyways, taking off our conspiracy theory caps, moving on to the Houston-Seattle game. This was obviously a barn burner. Um, Russell Wilson throwing for over 400 yards and four touchdowns. I don't know why he couldn't do that whenever I picked him up in fantasy. Um, But then you've got Deshaun Watson on the other side throwing the ball for 402 and four touchdowns. This was a great game. Two younger quarterbacks that are fun to watch. They have a lot of the same attributes running around, creating plays for everybody else. What did you think about the game? I think the craziest thing is that Deshaun Watson's biggest uh, knock coming into the NFL was that he has a noodle arm. But I think we've seen if you're going to get 402 yards on 19 carries, there's not much of a noodle arm there. I think it was... Will, for, Will Fuller's first touchdown that the ball went about 59 yards in the air. So, I mean, I don't, I'm not seeing the noodle arm people were talking about. And I, I don't know if it was so much his noodle arm they were worried about. They were worried about his deep accuracy, especially over the middle. He did make some questionable decisions in college, throwing the ball late over the middle with poor accuracy. But I agree with you. More than anything, um, I've mentioned this before. Quarterbacks, that is the one position on the football field, them and middle linebackers, in my opinion, that are leaders of men. And it's about being able to look across from the guy and trust that he's not just going to make the right decision, but he's going to put people in a position to be successful. And I believe that the players on the Houston Tex- Texans football team believe in what Deshaun Watson brings to the table and nobody believes in it more obviously than DeAndre Hopkins going up for 224 yards and a touchdown I think another telling fact was even uh, Richard Sherman coming out after the game and saying that he thinks that next year he's going to be a top five quarterback and I think we've seen with Richard Sherman's past that he's not one to compliment opposing players very often as we saw with uh, Michael Crabtree yeah, and I, I mean, I question Richard, Richardson's motives, and I might catch some flack for this. I don't really care. Um, obviously, you and I have had discussions about the inequalities that I think young African-American males go through in this country, and that, you know, I've had discussions with people that I, I respect a lot that don't necessarily agree with my position that these guys have every right to, you know, utilize their First Amendment right to free speech and not stand for the national anthem. In my opinion, I think, um, you know, Richardson or um, Sherman is utilizing his platform for a cause that he believes in. I don't believe Deshaun Watson is the best quarterback the Seahawks or that defense has ever faced because they lost to a guy named Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. So I question the reality of the argument, but kudos to him for using his platform for his cause. And I see see you've gone silent because you know I'm going to catch crap for it, but like I said, I don't care. (laughs) Um, So moving on, another NFC East game was the Cowboys and the Redskins. My biggest question is, what does Dallas do now that Ezekiel Elliott 
as officially still suspended for those six games after he went for 150 on 33 carries against Washington. I have no idea what they're going to do. I think Alfred Morris has shown that he's not the talent he was his rookie season, and Darren McFadden is past that 30-year 30 30-year-old 30 barrier. And that was another thing that I read today, that the Eagles trade for Jay Ajayi may have been more of a keeping another running back out of Dallas's hands than it was really helping them. Might not, I don't think that's true, but there's the tin hat complex again, right? Yes, sir. (laughs) So looking at the stats from that game, Ezekiel really carried that offense. Dak didn't do much. No one did anything besides Zeke. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I think we're finally going to see what Dak can do without a dominant running game behind him. I mean, they have the best offensive line in football. Obviously, Prescott's going to have time to throw the football, but in my opinion, they're obviously going to have to lean on and utilize Dez a lot more than they have, I think, over the last two or three weeks. Uh, You could tell him getting a little antsy on Sunday after his second catch, throwing up the the peace sign to his uh, sideline. I I don't know if he was saying, I'm out, or I have two catches and I need more. Feed me, as Zeke would say, but I do think that they need to stretch the defense a little bit, utilizing Des Bryant, but they also need to use um, some shorter concepts, maybe some quick screens to, I, I guess, accentuate what they're unable to do in the run game and utilize that pass game in those short route trees to be able to do that. I think something really interesting from this season is looking at how Chris Thompson has not really evolved, but he's become a much better pass catcher than he was. Well, I mean, that's what he's been known for, but I believe he's still on pace for over a 1,000 receiving yards as a running back, which I think is phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, I think he's got, what, 440, 450 on the season, three touchdowns. One concern I have with Chris Thompson is protecting the football. He does have three fumbles on the season. That's definitely a concern for me. Yeah, I think it's definitely that hurt them on Sunday. I believe he fumbled it on a kickoff. He gave the ball to Dallas, very in the red zone already. Well, and and with that NFC East, it'll it'll be new happy. It'll be it'll make you happy to hear that. I do believe that the Philadelphia Eagles are not just the best team in the NFC East or the NFC as a whole. I do believe that Philly in my opinion, is the favorite to go to the Super Bowl and possibly win it. I do believe they're the best team in the NFL right now. Um, And it's not just the play of Carson Wentz. Um, Their defense is great, and I don't think they're going to have a problem mopping up that division, having beaten Washington twice and now Dallas without Zeke. I don't really think they have any competition to worry about. They look like they're favorites to have home field advantage throughout. I hope what you're saying is true. (laughs) Well, moving on to the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Detroit Lions. Obviously, I always love to see an NFC North team go down, especially to a team that my Bears have beat in Pittsburgh. Uh, Ben Roethlisberger, contrary to his own reports of maybe not having it anymore, 17-31, 3-17, Le'Veon 76 on the ground. And Juju Smith-Schuster, seven receptions, 193 yards, and a touchdown. This Pittsburgh Steelers team is stacked. 
Um, Detroit, um, Stafford definitely put up numbers, but he didn't throw any touchdowns. They just simply could not score in the red zone. Um, what are your thoughts on where Detroit is at and if they have a chance to win that division still? And Pittsburgh's ascendance, especially from their younger offensive stars. The Lions, if they can put together a running game at some point this season, I think they will be will, will hopefully turn their season around, be able to catch the Vikings, because I think the Vikings are the weakest division leaders in the NFL right now. But I think, I don't know if you saw it, but Juju in his post-game conference, they asked him why he kept looking back on his, nine, I think it was 97-yard touchdown run, and he made a comment about how he thought his Madden rating, or his Madden speed was 82 or 83, <laughs> so he had to keep, keep looking back to see if they were going to catch him. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. I like that he's young and funny, and hopefully it's not just a fluke game and he can be a real star for them. Well, and I think it brings kind of a breath of fresh air to that football team that's been under some scrutiny. Um, that locker room's always been kind of chaotic ever since Mike Tomlin's taken over. Obviously, the iron job, Bill Cowher didn't allow that type of behavior in his locker room, but um, Tomlin subsequently seems to have some kind of drama going on within that locker room ever since he's gotten there. And obviously one thing in particular right now is Martavius Bryant being unhappy with how he's being utilized uh, for a younger guy like Juju. But in my opinion, as a coach from the outside looking in, you've got a guy who represents what you want to see in a young talent. You know, let my play do the talking for me and piss on what Madden thinks about my speed rating. But you've got a guy like Martavius who continues to run his mouth, but seemingly not do anything when he does get an opportunity. Yeah, I think he's definitely mishandling his season. So his first season back from a year-long ban from the NFL, he's not doing much, and all he's doing is causing problems. I think that he's on the fast track to getting himself out of the NFL. Well, who's your favorite to take that division in the AFC North, then? Is that Pittsburgh? I still think Pittsburgh can pull that out. I don't think the Bengals are showing anything. We know Cleveland's not showing anything. And if Joe Flacco's not coming back, I don't think Ryan Mallett can win very many football games, if any. So we've got Philly, NFC East champs. We've got Pittsburgh, AFC North champs. Let's move on to the AFC West with the Denver Broncos and the Kansas City Chiefs. Andy Reid, I don't know if he's drinking from the same fountain that Tom Brady and Josh McCown are, but the guy knows how to win football games. Um, Alex Smith didn't necessarily have the dominant performance that we're used to seeing from him this year. He still protected the football, threw for over 200 yards. Um, Hunt was pretty limited on the ground. He only averaged two yards a carry, but that is probably one of the best defenses in the league. Trevor Simeon... um, he he makes you shake your head as a coach and go, why did you do that? It's like the Jay Cutler complex all over again. Um, I believe Denver came out today, actually, and said that Brock Osweiler would be starting next week. What are your thoughts on where Denver's at? Disappointing season thus far. And how about those Kansas City Chiefs and your boy Andy Reid? I think, I think the best throw Trevor Simeon threw all Sunday, or all Monday, sorry, 
was uh, that wide open throw he threw right to Marcus Peters. <laughs> beautiful ball, beautiful ball placement. Jokes aside, Trevor Simeon has been terrible the last three weeks. I believe he's thrown something like seven interceptions and two touchdowns, something along those lines, and played himself right onto the bench. Where I think I think he's showing his draft placement right there that he is a seventh round guy. And he's not a franchise quarterback. Well, and I think a lot of guy, a lot of people out there question. You know, John Elway is a quarterback. He understands that the quarterback position is the most position in all of sports. And I think some people may question why it is they've put all their faith in a guy like Trevor Simeon. But I also think that people forget that Paxton Lynch was a guy that they moved up to get. And ultimately, I don't know if that he has not progressed to the level that they thought that he would or if injuries have had anything to do with it. What are your thoughts on Paxton Lynch and what the future holds for him in Denver? I would not be surprised if Denver ends up picking a quarterback again. There's arguably five quarterbacks that could be going, roughly five that could be going in the first round. And I don't think Paxton in his year – it's rookie year, and then this year that he's—I think he's been injured almost all season. I don't think he's shown them what they like, or else I think that he would have been the starting quarterback over Trevor Simeon. And I think that's kind of sad to see because we've seen this entire season that Trevor Simeon's not not much of an NFL quarterback, and Paxton can't overtake Trevor. I don't know if he's really going to be that guy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely gonna play itself out. Um, I definitely think there are some guys coming out. I think a big question related to that is where those guys are going to be taken. We obviously saw the draft stock of quarterbacks go up and up and up this year with multiple teams moving up to take quarterbacks. It's definitely going to be interesting to see what Denver does after the season, if they're going to have the type of pick selection to move up and get one of those guys, or if they're going to have to basically put the house on the market in order to move up and get somebody. I don't think that's something that uh, John Elway wants to do, but maybe what they need to do. So that obviously covers the games. Uh, Closing thought, let's get in on the playoff picture thus far. The season is half over. Who would have thought the Pittsburgh Steelers was the number one seed in the AFC after losing to the Bears in week two? Um, giving up the amount of yards they did on the ground. You've got the Chiefs with the second seed, uh, the Eagles and the Vikings from the NFC. Then we get into the Jags, the Patriots, the Bills, and the Titans from the AFC, the Panthers, the Seahawks, the Rams, and the Saints from the NFC. I obviously know who your favorite is from the NFC. Um, Who's a surprise team from the NFC that you think might be able to get into that divisional round or possibly even into that nfc championship game i think the rams are going to be my surprise because i could definitely see them even beating out the seahawks for the division and like i said earlier i don't really trust the vikings i don't see them continuing into a bye i think the rams are a good team playing good defense as long as jared goff doesn't revert to his rookie season form and as long as todd Gurley can keep running like he is i could see them going pretty far my surprise is likely going to be the New Orleans Saints. Um, I don't necessarily 
trust them, but because it is a surprise pick, that's who I'll go with. If they can continue to run the football and have to limit how much they throw the ball, even though I do trust Drew Brees, I don't necessarily think he has the greatest playmakers on the outside to throw the ball around like he used to. Um, But if the Saints win that division and they can get a home field game in the Dome, I think they have a high likelihood of of winning that. Um, And if they get into that, divisional round that puts them up against the Vikings I don't like the fact they'd have to go up to Minnesota but I still do like their chances of being able to pull that one out just because I do not trust the Vikings quarterback situation that I've mentioned quite a bit moving over to the AFC though um, my surprise team is going to be the Buffalo Bills I think they are going to compete with the New England Patriots for that division and I think they have a good shot of moving into that divisional round because as it's slated right now they'd only have to beat the Tennessee Titans in order to do it and if they won the division over the Patriots in doing so I think they have a great shot of beating the Titans at home to move up against the Kansas City Chiefs what are your thoughts on the AFC I think that what I want to see as a as a fan of Marcus Mariota's game is I want to see him kind of turn that season around make it make it into the playoffs I think a lot of people think that they aren't going to, that the Jaguars are going to win the division. And show, seeing what they did in Week 7, which was barely beating the Browns, they're definitely not showing it, but that's my hope, is that they can pull it out and make it to the playoffs and make it far. So they, they were my picks okay. for, to make it far from the beginning of the season. I'm going to stick to that. So closing out the podcast, let's focus on teams that are not in the playoff hunt currently. Give me a team from the AFC and a team from the NFC that you believe could be darlings, squeak into the playoffs, and win a football game in December. Uh, From the AFC, I'd probably have to go with the Broncos. If a quarterback can come in there and be serviceable and that defense can continue being the no-fly zone that they've been known for for seems like forever now. I think, as we all know, defense wins wins games in the playoffs. If they can make it, I think the defense could be dominant and win them some games. I'd say from the NFC, I'm probably going to go with Matt Stafford and the Lions. If they can win that division, I think we've seen Matt Stafford be lucky in the playoffs before against Dallas. And Awesome. Well, that's going to do it this week for the All Pigskin Podcast. From me, Coach Long, to my co-host, Fetty Guapo, and my Chicago Bears fans, bear down. And to Fetty's Philadelphia Eagles. Fly, Eagles, fly. Thanks for listening to this episode of the All Pigskin Podcast with Coach Long and Tanner, a.k.a. Fetty Guapo. If you like the episode, please review and subscribe. And check them out online at allpigskinpodcast.com. And we'll catch you next time.